This is the Leadership Institute School Board Campaign Training Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Nearing. This year, the Leadership Institute launched this new program for conservatives interested in running for school board or being involved in school board campaigns. Our podcast features faculty members from the new school board campaign training and other expert guests discussing how to design, wage, and win successful school board campaigns. You can learn more and take the program online at leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. We're joined today for this episode, episode three, by Steve Sutton. Steve is the senior vice president here at the Leadership Institute, longtime Capitol Hill staffer, uh, and uh, and been involved with countless campaigns around the country. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Ron. Looking forward to talking to you. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about your background, how it relates to fundraising and campaigns, so the members of our audience understand who they're hearing from. Okay. Um, People come to uh, the public policy either through policy or politics, and they overlap, but they're distinct. And most people on our side, and most people in general, I think, are policy-driven. They care about the issues. That's why they're involved. Um, I came at it through politics, working on campaigns, helping good people get elected. And so that was my background. And I knew a little bit about fundraising because you've got to do some fundraising uh, on the political campaigns. But when I came to Leadership Institute, um, I was hired to be the vice president for programs. And so um, uh, after a, a time doing that, uh, I was asked to move over by Morton to do fundraising, vice president for development. And uh, not really my background, and I believed all of the, uh, uh, what I consider now, myths about fundraising, but all the negative things. And so uh, famously, I tell the story uh, that uh, he asked me, and I said, uh, no, thank you. Then a month later, he asked me again. I said, uh, hell no, thank you. And then two months later, he asked me a third time. And uh, my wife explained to me that Morton is a Southern gentleman, and this is his polite way of telling you. He's not really asking you. <laughs> and so I, I accepted. But I knew very, li- I knew very little about nonprofit fundraising, um, which is different because it's more uh, long-term than a political campaign. Uh, where in a, in a few months the campaign is over, win or lose, and uh, if you win, people will be throwing money at you and fundraising won't be a real problem. And if you lose, well, then nobody will be supporting you. <laughs> so uh, it took me about a year to get uh, uh, my feet underneath me and learn the, uh, the techniques uh, to implement a, a, a strong fundraising program and uh, since that time, we've gone from uh, about six to eight million dollars a year, where we had kind of plateaued here at Leadership Institute for six years. Uh, last year, we raised over twenty-four million, and uh, um, and so Morton once asked me uh, what I attributed the success of the fundraising, and I said, Morton, it's it's um, so much of it. I read I read your memos on fundraising, and then implemented those things, and so. Um, uh, that's how I learned to do it. Um, the techniques are, are something that people can learn. Anyone can fundraise. And I love it now. I don't, uh, uh, I, I don't, uh, the, 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 the myths about dreading it and you have to ask for money and you're going to be that walks, the guy that walks into a room and everybody flees for the exits. Uh, it's just not true if you do it properly. And so if that's what's happening, you're doing it wrong. And we'll talk about that uh, today, uh, what the techniques and tactics uh, and style. Uh, everyone has their own style. Some people don't like to ask. There's ways to still raise money. 
So this can be a very intimidating thing that might keep some people from wanting to run for office in the first place or might keep them uh, hesitant or uh, or intimidated and, and so on because, well, they've got to wage the campaign, but they also have to raise the money for the campaign uh, and so on. And, and and that could be a real challenge. Many of the people who are considering running for school board, have they have lives they're leading, they have jobs, they have other responsibilities and so on. And when they think, oh, my gosh, I have to go out and find all this money and raise all this money. I can't afford to pay for it myself. You know, who's going to want to fund a school board campaign? Uh, you know, this is not like president of the United States where you're on Fox News every day and people will, you know, sign on to your website and just throw money at you uh, if you say the right thing. So for for first time candidates who've never run for office before or people who are going to help those people, how should they start to think about going about raising money so they can power their campaign and ultimately get to victory? Great question. It starts with the network of acquaintances, friends that you already have. You might be running for office for the first time, but hopefully it's not the first time you've decided to get involved in the community in some meaningful way. Um, People who decide to get involved and run for office right off the bat, yeah, they will have trouble. They'll have trouble raising money. They'll have trouble finding yard sign locations and getting volunteers, and they're going to have trouble up and down the, uh, the, the organization. But someone who's already involved in the community, those things will be much easier. Uh, I cite often uh, a campaign that I helped, a guy running for city council. And uh, prior to the campaign, he had never run for office before. Um, But when his daughters were old enough to go to middle school, he went down and said, I want to join the parent-teacher organization. Uh, In the north, they're PTAs, associations. In the south, they are PTOs, organizations. And they said, well, we don't have one. Well, what do you think that he did? He started the, the PTO. And his daughters love playing basketball. He has two daughters. So uh, he started an all-girls basketball league. That's not political. That's not, uh, he's not blockading an abortion clinic. He's not uh, protesting. He just is involved in the community. And then he went to referee school so he could ref the games. And then there was no recycling in this part of town. And so he went to the local supermarket. Can we put recycling bins in the corner of the parking lot? And they said, well, you can put them there, but who's going to you know, look after them? They get dirty and people break their bottles. And he goes, I'll do it. We'll open it once a week, Saturday mornings. And every Saturday morning, he was there. And when there was an opening on the city council, people asked him to run for city council. And if you're in that position, you will raise money. You'll have volunteers. You'll have yard sign locations. You'll have energy. And the people even said in his southern accent, I, I, I almost never imitate a southern accent, but I will imitate this one. He must have said endlessly, I ain't running for no damn city council. <laughs> and yet the supporters said, Charlie, you don't have, his name was Charlie, Charlie. And he said, you don't have to, you're not going to, we'll raise the money. We'll knock on the doors. You may have to make a few speeches. Now, there was more effort involved than that, but this was a campaign that had energy, and we raised a lot of money. I think his budget was $20,000. After we hit 30000 plus, we stopped raising money because just uh, our budget, our plan didn't call for mailings. We did a lot of door-to-door. It was a small uh, area. And so if, you, if you're already well-known in the community and you have supporters of yours, friends, close friends, 
you can raise money and you will raise money if you do the techniques we're going to talk about. It's been said that politics is 75% relationships and 25% everything else. And that couldn't be more true in the area of fundraising. So the more contacts that someone has, the better. And the more community involvement that they have, the more contacts they're going to have. But even someone who hasn't been especially involved in the community, you're still going to have your Christmas card list, your friends, your family, everybody who's in your phone is a potential donor and supporter uh, to your campaign. When I ran for Lieutenant Governor of California in 2014, um, I made the decision to run, but there was a very tight deadline. I had to raise $3,000 right away to pay for a ballot statement to go in the sample ballot statewide. Uh, and uh, that deadline was not flexible. And it was a weird quirk in the California law. The deadline to get in the ballot pamphlet was two days after filing opened. So you had to, filing opened, you had to get your signatures, you had to uh, open a campaign account, you had to raise $3,000, get in the bank and write a check all within 48 hours. And fortunately, there were people who I had met when I was chairman of the, of the state party who I could call and I was able to raise $3,000 in about 15 minutes. And I was able to raise that money, get in the bank, send a check off, get in the ballot pamphlet. No other uh, candidate of my party was able to do that. And be, having that statement in the ballot pamphlet was critical to winning the primary, which I went on uh, to win. But if I didn't have those three people who I could call to raise that money, I might not have won the primary or it would have been a lot harder. Uh, it cost me more money uh, you know, later on. But the fact that I could raise that money quickly from people who I knew was a big help. This would be a good time for uh, the first uh, suggestion, recommendation I'd like to make. Do not ignore your out-of-state friends. Uh, you may discount them because, first of all, you don't want to be known as the person who's funding the campaign from outsiders. Um, that's a best a one-day story. If that's the best that your opposition has to, uh, uh, to attack you on, then the, uh, the pool is pretty shallow on that regard. Um, and they won't care what happens in this part of the country. That's not why they're going to donate. They're going to donate because you ask them. And, uh, and they also won't know how hopeless your campaign is. Uh, they're just <laughs> going to gonna send you money because you've asked. And uh, you can raise a lot of money from the network of life outside of your state. So don't ignore that. Think, think about that. So everyone who's in your phone, whether they live in the district or not, uh, it's the relationship with you as the candidate or, uh, or the campaign that's going to be the, the, the hinge that's going to bring the, those funds in, whether they, whether they live in the district or not, that, that, uh, that doesn't matter nearly as much. Okay, so what's next? What, what does a candidate need to be prepared to do uh, to go about raising the funds to power the campaign? You have to be organized. There's no more important thing in a campaign than being organized. And uh, so the, the first thing that you should do in a campaign, the first piece of literature, should be a, uh, a donation envelope that you prepare. Uh, I have a copy here. Everybody listening, if they can see this, <laughs> they can. Um, and and it's, an, it's, an, it's the first thing, more than the introductory uh, uh, palm card, the door-to-door -door literature, all that should wait. You need to have, because what's going to happen? You're going to tell people you're running for office and your friends are going to come up to you. And what is the first thing they're going to say to you? Let me know how I can help. Mm. And so what's going to happen? You're going to say, thank you. And then it's going to disappear like a mirage in the desert. 
you won't, you, you know, so you could give them a piece of paper. They'll give you their card. You'll hand it to one of your campaign workers. They will promptly lose the card. Or you'll tell them, make sure you call this person. And they won't. I mean, there's just a hundred things that can go wrong. Right. If you have this envelope, it's an envelope with an oversized flap uh, to seal the envelope. And, uh, and, and, and the reason it's an envelope, you're going to hand to them. And, and on one side is going to be the address that it's returned to. But on the other side, there are going to be choices for the person to volunteer. So if somebody says, let me know how I can help, you're going to reach in your pocket and you're going to hand them one of these envelopes and say, please fill this out. Well, now the responsibility is back on, on them. Mm-hmm. And they've just said they want to help. And so you're going to list various options. So it depends on what your campaign is going to do. But um, I will put a yard sign in my yard. That could be one box they can check. I will put a bumper sticker on my car. Send me a bumper sticker. Give me a yard sign. I'll go door to door. I'll host a coffee in my house. If you're doing those things. Mm-hmm. And then the last box is encloses my donation. I'm pleased to support your campaign in the following amount and have some blocks, $25, $50, whatever the blocks are. They can check that off. And then there's a place for their name and address. And then there's an envelope so they can put their donation into the envelope. The flap is oversized so it will hide their personal information. So the flap should cover what they've written. And I like the gummed uh, adhesive where you have to lick it uh, or, or moisten it to, to seal it. And then people pop it in the mail. You will raise more money than the cost of these envelopes by using these envelopes. So it's going to pay for itself. And the people that donate to you is the beginnings of your fundraising operation. You're going to then contact those people and ask them to help you raise money. You're not going to list as one of the options, I'll help, I'll be on your finance committee because no one's ever going to check that. Right. Or I'll help you raise money. No one's checking that either. And you don't want them to have said no to that. In advance. In advance. But you will call them. Thank you so much for your support. Yeah, let me know what else I can do. Well, actually, would you consider helping me raise money? Well, I don't know how to do that. We'll train you. Well, I don't like doing it. We have a way of doing it. Tell you what, if, if you'll meet us at this location at 6 o'clock, I'll have dinner for a small group of people, and I'll explain what we're going to do. If you don't like it, you can go home. And all that, the only harm is you'll, you'll have a, uh, a, 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 probably an unhealthy dinner because I'm serving, you know, ribs and macaroni and cheese. So that's the, the, the only downside is the clogging of your arteries. That's it. <laughs> and so, so, and so, and then the training that you're going to do for this evening of calling, uh, you'll train them at six, have dinner at seven o'clock to nine o'clock. This is what you'll do. You'll have three or four people. And, uh, uh, I developed this system working on a campaign, but I've heard other people do it also. It's kind of common sense. What are the big objections that a candidate has? Um, I can't get through to people. I hate rejection. I hate asking. I hate no's. I call people. I get answering machines. I get wrong numbers. I don't, I don't talk to a person. So we, we thought all those things through. These are all the objections that a typical candidate will have. How do we overcome all those objections? And this is what we did. So three or four people start making phone calls. I'll pretend that I'm making a call to you, Ron, my friend, and someone named Bill is the candidate. And so I'll call my friend, Ron. I say, Ron, this is Steve. Oh, how you doing? It's great. Chit-chat, chit-chat. By the way, 
uh, you know I'm involved in politics and campaigns, and I'm helping someone running for city council. His name is Bill Smith. And in fact, I'm sitting right here with him. Would you like to talk to him? He shares our values. He's a great guy. Well, you're sitting right next to him. Sure. Well, hang on a second. You put the guy on hold. You say to the candidate, Bill, I got Ron on line one. We play golf together. And uh, his wife is prettier than mine. Just some background. And so Bill gets on the phone. Hey, Ron. Yeah, Steve told me uh, you're interested in whatever issue or, or my campaign. And then they talk for a minute or two. And then Bill says, Ron, I'd love to talk to you some more, but I got another call I got to take. Let me give you back to Steve. Okay. And then pops back to me and I say, well, what'd you think? Oh, he's a jerk. No, he's, oh, he's, a, he's a nice guy. He's great. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I'm help also. One of the things I'm doing to help him is to raise money. I've donated a hundred dollars and I've promised him I'll raise $2,000. Is that something you can help me with? So you see what's been set up here. The candidate has not asked for any money. He's not gotten any busy signals or he didn't have to, he's gotten a live person. There's mm -hmm. a connection to the live person and he, has, and he doesn't have to ask for anything. No, so all the objections possible have been eliminated. And then you close, but it's in a friendly way. I think people should give, have given a donation so they can say, I've given a hundred, that makes it better. Can you help me out? Now you're asking again for that personal favor. Forget about the candidate. You know, can you help me out? I've made a pledge. And you're not asking for so much money that they can't afford to give it to you. You're asking for an amount they can afford to give. So say, you, say it's $100. Okay, I'll do 100 Can you do 200 You only gave 100 Yeah, but your wife's better looking than mine and you have more money. <laughs> and so maybe, but whatever you raise, at, when you hang up, you fill out a form that the campaign has for you and you hand it to the campaign worker who's sitting there and out goes a letter that night. And there's two letters, one from the, both from the candidate. One says, dear Ron, I enjoyed speaking with you. And the other one says, dear Ron, I understand you've pledged $100. Thank you for your pledge. Because some people will say, I don't want to speak to the candidate. And so you make them very generic. And those letters go out enclosed as an envelope for your convenience. If you want to increase the fulfillment dramatically, send a receipt. Get one of those carbon copy uh, notepads or receipts that uh, in the old days, I think we could still get those, and send them the carbon copy. And they're going to think, oh, darn it, they've got a record of this, and they're going to be hounding me, and I better send it in. Your fulfillment will go from 60% to 90%. So you'll get the checks in, and you will raise money. Let's do the math. You can make five successful calls an hour. You could probably do a lot more than that. But five successful calls an hour, two hours, that's 10 successful calls. Say you average $100 per call times 10 successful calls, that's $1,000, okay, for two hours, times three or four people. You will raise three to $4,000 every night you do this. When I did this in the city council race, our budget was $20,000. After two weeks of doing this, we stopped because we had raised all the money we needed. In fact, we had, we had gone past $30,000. And we said, well, we don't need to raise any more money. Because we weren't, we weren't doing mailings. We had a very modest budget for materials and yard signs. And, and we did win that campaign, by the way. It was fully funded. And you could work with the numbers and extrapolate it. And you can have people asking for $1,000 if necessary. And, but uh, if you were to raise $4,000 a night for three nights a week, that's $12,000. For four weeks, you've raised $48,000. Mm -hmm. So if you can't do this, 
I would suggest you should not run for office. It means you don't have a, you don't have three or four friends who could do this for one night. And by the way, the people can come back if they didn't get through their list, or new people can fill in. And if you don't have enough people to do this every evening for as long as it takes, um, yeah, you're in bad shape. But if you do have these people, and in this campaign, people wanted to help, they didn't know what to do. So we trained them very modestly, and it cost us a few free dinners. And, uh, and we even set up, you know, people compete. At the end of the evening, whoever's raised the most money gets, you know, fill in the blank. The, the same type of technique is actually used by presidential campaigns, just at a different scale. Uh, some of the presidential candidates would have uh, a big call day, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I believe the Trump campaign did something like this, where they flew all these people who were already committed to helping them raise money. They flew them down to Mar-a-Lago or somewhere in Florida. Right. They set up a big call center. Every person had their list, uh, you know, their laptop or something, and they would have people related to the candidate, a high-profile endorsers walking around this room, and someone would hold up a phone, hey, I've got somebody here, and oh, here, you know, Donald Trump Jr. is on, you know, and so on, and they talked to them for just a minute, and it was massively successful, because you can, uh, and so much of what we do in politics at the local level is the same thing that happens at the presidential level, it's just the scale that's different. So this method that you just described for three people who could be sitting around the table or you know wherever is the same model that's used at a presidential level and the reason why the model's used is because it's worked so well i'm, I'm glad i gave uh, the trump organization that such idea. a good idea yeah so i didn't know that they had found out about it from me but uh i'll put that on my resume it's just a joke but again if you think through the objections and think through the problems and then work to solve the problems and don't just throw up your hands and, uh, oh, it won't work here. It'll work because, as Ron, as you said, it's 75% relationships. And that's why people from out of state will donate. They don't know you're running in the middle of the Bronx against Ocasio-Cortez. Well, that might be a plus. But if you're running in the middle <laughs> and the person's been in Congress for 40 years and you have no prayer of winning, they're like, you, want, you need 500 bucks, I'll send you. There was a candidate in the 1980s named uh, Holtzman was his last name. A kid, 25 years old, barely old enough to run for Congress. And he ran for Congress in the coal country. And I think he was, was, was Jewish. So he's a Jewish kid running in coal country in Pennsylvania in a district that was impossible. And yet he was so enthusiastic. People just, you know, he would meet with people and they'd say, well, I don't think you have a chance, but here's $500. Here's $1,000. Here's what, what. And he raised uh, for the, at the time in the 80s, he raised like four or $500,000, which is a significant amount in the 80s for a congressional race. Now, it is not a happy ending. <laughs> he did not win. Mm-hmm. He got crushed like everyone thought he would get crushed. But the point is he raised the money. Right. And so um, he didn't lose because of a lack of funds. Uh, if, you're, if you're enthusiastic with a, with a good uh, uh, network, you, 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 you can and will raise money and this is just one technique, but it's, it's my favorite one because it addresses the objections that people typically have in a successful way, and it works. Now, what type of attitude or disposition does the candidate need to exhibit when on the phone with a donor or a potential donor? Well, again, uh, some people say that you should stand up because your entire body and persona is more alive and energized when you're talking to someone. But they should be enthusiastic and, and full of optimism. Those are the most important things why they're running, uh, give them a brief synopsis uh, of why they're running, 
and uh, thank the person for their time. It, you're only going to be on the phone for a couple of minutes. That's the other beauty of this. Sometimes if you're making the calls, you get a friend and you're on the phone for 25 minutes to get your $1,000 donation because you're talking and everything. And this way you don't have to do that. It's right. two minutes. I'm sorry, I got another call coming in. Uh, and and you and bounce back to the friend. The friend may take ten more minutes with the person. So um, the contact with the with the donor should just be uh, uh, a positive one. Enthusiasm, optimism. And for a race like this, for people running for school board, it's really going to be the candidate talking to people directly, making an ask. That's going to be the biggest driver of fundraising. Is that? Yes. Uh, people want access to the candidate. They want to hear the candidate. They want to meet, or at least talk to the candidate. Um, there's no substitute. Uh, people will not donate money to the campaign manager. It just doesn't happen. Right. And so the candidate has to be involved. And, you know, the rule of thumb in any campaign is you spend half your time raising money. I don't know if that's necessary. The campaign I just described, we did not spend, the candidate did not spend half of his time raising money because what we did was wildly successful. We did just a few other things, but... Uh, uh, we did a couple of, of, of events that were supposed to be small events that became big events. Um, and I learned from him. He said, we're going to do a potluck dinner uh, at a dinner theater place that's uh, going to allow us to use their facility. No show, just a, a venue. And people will bring dishes, and uh, I've told them to, to, to bring a checkbook. And the New Yorker in me said, this is insane. No one's, you know, in New York, all this is, that's not called a fundraiser. It's called a free meal. <laughs> and so, so I said, okay, though, I'll defer. And uh, this, this was in Tennessee. And so uh, the place was mobbed. People were bringing their entire families and people have, the, the, the tables were filled with food. And I'm thinking, this is wonderful, but we're not going to raise any money. At the end of the evening, I was told that they raised $5,000 for a $20,000 campaign mm -hmm. in one, one night because people actually, it's a, in middle America, people are honest, they're sincere. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so it was an eye-opener for me. But I think that's for the candidate as well as the manager. Be open-minded. Be willing to try something and, and make sure that it fails rather than hearing people say, that'll never work. Well, let's, let's try it. I think that speaks to the importance of the culture of a campaign as well. Mm -hmm. And that is that any organization of people is going to take on a culture. Um, and that culture is important because it it guides people in what to do when there's no rule. Oh, you know, do we welcome the new person who walks in the room or do we all turn and face one another and gossip about that person? Do we welcome them? Uh, is it okay to talk smack about other people or not? And so on. all of those things are influenced by the culture. And when you have a culture inside of a campaign that is very welcoming of new people, that's very engaging with people, that doesn't descend into clickishness, I think it's more successful with an event like that because people who are not yet involved in the campaign but who might be interested are going to feel welcome. Excellent. That's, that's a great point because too many political endeavors are clickish, uh, whether it's the, the monthly meetings or the campaign with the same people that help every campaign. There's no new people. This is the way we do it here. Right. That won't. That's, that idea won't work here because this part of the country is different. Gosh, if I had a nickel for every one time I've heard that, I'd have two or three dollars. Um, it's just. It, and you know what? Let's try it. And uh, when I worked in Minnesota, I was told about Minnesota Nice, 
and uh, after the riots in, Minnesota, in the Twin Cities, I guess they don't talk about Minnesota nice so much. But um, And these techniques won't work up here. We're special. We're different. And I said, nah. I said, tell you what, let's just experiment. Let's do it on a small scale. And if I'm wrong, okay. You'll never hear me mention these things again. But if I'm right, and so we, we tried a, a, a test, uh, and, and it worked. Yeah, it really, was fair. There really is a function of overcoming um, uh, objections in a campaign because there's always somebody who says, well, this can't be done and that can't be done. And, right. oh, you don't have the right background or you don't have this and you don't have that. And I've learned through the Leadership Institute how important it is so often to just cast that aside. Um, it's a common uh, belief that, well, you know, to be successful in politics, you have to be wealthy and you have to come from a family that's in politics. Well, my life is an example of how that wasn't the case. My parents were German immigrants. They spoke no English when they came here. They, uh, they learned English by watching uh, cartoons and advertisements on television. Uh, no one in my family had ever gone to college. And I became the chairman of the biggest state Republican Party in the country and a presidential campaign spokesman and nominee for lieutenant governor. So, so often, many of the things that are part, uh, are part of the mythology around politics that we learn from either social media or cultural stories or from, you know, or from television. You know, if you, a lot of people, you know, would think that, well, oh, you're involved in politics. So every day is like an episode of The West Wing. You know, you're right. on the phone with right. the president and you're on private planes and so on. It just isn't, isn't like that at all. When I ran for lieutenant governor in 2014, it was an office, it still is an office, that uh, my party has not won since 1978, so it's been a while. It's an invisible office. It has almost no authority whatsoever. Uh, and, uh, and you know, people said, well, you're not going to be able to raise any money for that, you know, whatsoever. And we found a technique uh, that worked extraordinarily well, and it taught us, it reminded us something about politics. The main way that I would raise money when I was running is that I would speak even after the primary, I would speak to every significantly sized Republican club meeting I could go to. Uh, and uh, probably the most uh, stark example of that was I spoke at the Fresno County Republican Women Federated Luncheon. So went to Fresno and people might say, well, why are you bothering talking to Republicans? It's after the primary. You're running against a Democrat. You should only be you know, going after you know people who are not Republicans because you already have that locked up. And and. They missed the point because what had happened was that I would go speak. I'd give a great talk. I learned public speaking through lots of experience, both through the Leadership Institute and by being a party chairman for 10 years. And I would I gave my campaign speech to the Fresno County Republican Women Federated, got everyone charged up. And then my campaign manager was in the back of the room and we distributed contribution envelopes. And just like the one that you you have here on the table. As the listeners can see. And at the end of the talk, uh, I, I said, my campaign manager has distributed donation envelopes. If you like what you hear, if you want to support our efforts, uh, you know, every $250 that is contributed keeps me on the campaign trail for another, uh, for another day. Uh, and for every $1,000 that, that's contributed, that's another you know, sign order or collateral material order that we can, we can fulfill. And just from that one talk in Fresno, I remember... We walked out with about $5,000. And then you replicate that over and over again. And what we learn is that even in a race which nobody believed we could win, and they were right, we didn't win. We got 43% of the vote, which was pretty good. Um, 
people will give to candidates who they feel are champions for what they believe in. And so leveraging a relationship is one way, but being a champion to people who are looking for champions was another. So Mm -hmm. here I was running for an office with no power, running for an office which my party hadn't won since 1978, and yet a room full of very rational people wrote checks. I was astonished by how many people brought their checkbook to to a lunch, but they wrote checks and they contributed to a campaign which was a long shot at winning because they felt after that talk Uh, that I believed in something and I was going to be a champion for what they believed in. And that's another important thing for candidates to recognize, and that is that there's no begging involved. Candidates who are stepping up to run for school board are volunteering to be the voice of others to uh, be part of improving the local schools. So the candidate is offering to do a service and it's public service. The kid, not everybody in the community has the time to serve on the school board. So the candidate is someone who said, I'm willing to put the time in to serve on the school board and make our schools better. Will you support that effort? And so relationships is one mechanism and being a champion is another complementary mechanism. Another great uh, project to mention to uh, audiences such as that is uh, that for a certain donation, we uh, have relationships with young people and uh, we're going to put them in the field going door to door because older people will not go door to door. But if you tell them that you've got young people that are going to be knocking on doors for you, but we need to fund them, we need to feed them, uh, and we need uh, money for transportation to get them uh, into the right precincts, uh, I found that that is a very effective way to raise money because people, again, you're, you're their surrogate. You're the tip of the spear, but they're the rest of the, of the spear uh, because they can write a check. They're not going to do, go door to door. They're not, they don't want to be on the phone. They don't want to do the voter contact in many times, but they can write a check. And so that's the kind of team you're putting together, and that's the coalition that you're creating. And, um, uh, and they're not interested that you're 20 points behind or whatever. It's like, like you said, Ron, uh, you're representing them. Even if you don't win, you're still representing their values on the campaign trail and helping to organize that community for hopefully whatever comes after the election too. Yeah, it's a, it's a, another common myth that candidates might believe that they have to create an aura of, uh, of inevitability of a victory in order to raise money. And in fact, uh, that can run counter to your fundraising interests because if everyone is certain you're going to win, why do you need the contribution to begin with? So right. it turns out that more money is raised in highly competitive races where it's believed that there is a pathway to victory. And an example of that would be Beto O'Rourke running against Senator Ted Cruz in Texas in 2018. Beto O'Rourke was way out of tune with Texas, uh, very much a liberal at running in a, in a conservative state, a state that's you know trending in, a, in an interesting way, but nonetheless still a conservative state. Uh, and he raised more money than anyone's ever raised for a Senate race uh, there because he was seen as a champion by the left for issues of the left. Uh, and, uh, and so even though it was believed that Beto O'Rourke was, uh, was, in a, uh, was the underdog, it was believed that it was a competitive race with a pathway to victory. And I think that's the sweet spot which candidates are looking for in that, uh, that, 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 it's, that it's not a sure thing one way or another, that it is competitive, and there's a way that we can win. And even beyond that, even if there is no way to win, uh, Holtzman in Pennsylvania, no one thought he would win, and he didn't. Um, there was a woman who ran recently in Baltimore uh, for Congress. I forget against who, um, but as a Republican, she raised unbelievable amount of money. People said, you know what? I, 
don't think she's going to win, but I really like her. And she's she's uh, she giving was a voice. Champion. She was she's, a champion. She's giving a voice to my values in one of the worst cities uh, uh, in, in the country as far as performance uh, and services. And uh, even though she doesn't win, she's articulating that point of view in a, in a way that I like. And so they didn't invest in the campaign as much as they invested in her. And uh, and so we see we also see that the competitiveness makes it even better. Um, but uh, um, yeah, there's a, there's uh, there's the same number of campaigns out there that there have been for the last uh, 50 years, uh, for the most part, uh, and there's more people and there's more affluent people. So there's 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 plenty of funds and and people to approach if you approach them in the right way. So one characterization is it's competitive and there's a pathway to victory. There's another characterization that kind of sidesteps how competitive it is or not. Uh, and focuses on the candidate being someone who represents the values and ideals and aspirations of other people who maybe wish they could run for office or they're not interested in it, but they want to support someone who will. And they, that resonates with them in terms of that that person becomes a champion for them. And yes, I'm willing to invest in that. Mm-hmm. I agree. What, what's um, We have time for to go through one more technique. What's another technique that school board candidates would benefit from knowing uh, as uh, as they go forward. Well, there's different ways. I mean, we talked about uh, one-on-one fundraising or in the in the small group where people are calling their friends. That's the uh, the easiest way because it's just a phone call. It's also the least expensive way. It costs you a postage stamp uh, or two. One to get the letter uh, uh, to them and and a stamp of sorts uh, on your reply envelope. Uh, and so that's the, 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 the fastest and easiest and least expensive way. But there are other methods, and uh, whether it's uh, uh, holding events. Um, and, uh, of course, it's, I don't think you're going to raise a lot of PAC money for school board races. But um, just a brief discussion about events. You've got to be very careful with events that the expenses don't get out of control. And uh, uh, a friend of mine used to say that, the, that events are not – not fund raisers, they're more fun raisers. You may, th- you may realize you did not raise as much as you thought you were gonna raise because of expenses, and, and, uh, uh, but everyone will have a good time. Um, one technique though, I think people should uh, definitely use with fundraisers, uh, with events, is to tier the event. That's T-I-E-R, not cry over them. <laughs> and, uh, and so at the same event, have three events. You'll have uh, the regular event might be $50 a person, 95 a couple. But then you might have a pre-dinner uh, for VIPs, and uh, that could be more intimate. Uh, one event in particular I'm thinking of was at somebody's home. There was a tent set up in the backyard. That was the $100 event uh, with a, with a uh, cash bar. and uh, But then... That was going to start at, uh, I think, 8 o'clock. And, but from 6 to 8, there was a dinner inside the house for VIPs, and that was 500 a person, 1,000 a couple, and they had eight tables set up. And uh, uh, this was a, an event for an, a national campaign. And the candidate sat at a different table for 10 or 15 minutes, uh, and so everyone could say they had dinner with this uh, celebrity national figure. And before that, there was a reception in the same house 
so, so the dinner was six to eight. The reception was from five to six. And that was uh, uh, pre-dinner cocktails. You could uh, come to the dinner also, but that was 1,000 a person, 2,000 a couple. And there you got to mingle in a smaller group with the candidate, get your picture taken with the candidate. They would send the picture with the autograph on the picture. And so you had different, three different tiers, but the, for the candidate, they only had to show up at one event. They showed up at five, they left at nine, they had three events in the same home. So they raised 20,000 at the reception and they raised 40 or 50,000 at the dinner. And then they raised you know, 80,000 in, in the tent. And the candidate just popped onto a stage. They had a corner of the tent that, uh, with a door, little flap. And you'd step on the stage. The place went crazy because by then everyone's drunk. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they went crazy. He talked for five minutes and then he left. So he had three events at the same location. So that's a way to, to uh, um, marshal your resources and expenses. Uh, on a smaller scale, we once had a, uh, a birthday party for a candidate who was turning 35 years old. So it was $35 a person at a local restaurant. They had a, a, a big meeting room for events. So we said, well, let's have a pre before the event for $35. You can meet in the, in the bar with the candidate for $135. So you, the tiers don't have to be skewed for high dollars. And we raised more money from the extra $100, we raised as much money doing that as we did in the event for $35. The, the extra $100 for drinks ahead of time with the candidate raised as much as the, so we doubled what we would have raised otherwise with basically the same people. So it's people who came a little early and they paid 135 instead of 35. And the so, principle with tiered events is the same as uh, the principle with airlines. And that is that uh, if there's some people who were they want to go from uh, from L.A. to New York, uh, but they're capable of paying more and they're willing to pay more for a little bit more comfort. Then it would be foolish for the airline not to offer them an option by which they could uh, they could pay more for that. And right. Likewise, mm -hmm. there are many donors who might be capable of making a bigger gift. But if the only option you're giving them is 50 bucks, then the person who's capable of giving 250, well, they're only going to get 50 because you didn't get provide them a mechanism to do that. And so for those listening who are in sales, marketing and specifically in sales, this is upselling. And it's the same techniques that you'll recognize from the sales techniques that you're familiar with. Uh, in this case, we are marketing ideas. We're marketing a candidate. But it's the, it's the same principle as marketing whatever product you have out there. You want to upsell people. Your best customer is your current customer. Your best future customer is your current customer. The same thing. So the final point that I would like to make is make sure to steward the gifts. Let people know what you've done with their gift, how you're spending it, and the results that you're getting. Because when you go to them again, they're much more likely to give you that second gift. Now, for people who are not yet maxed out, that's especially important. But even people who are maxed out, those are the people that might help you raise additional money. They have friends. They have friends typically of the same social and economic status as they have. And uh, they know people. And if they're willing to actually make five phone calls and raise you $1,000 per call, well, now suddenly you're, 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 you have a, um, a system that is building on it. The synergy is, is positive and you're, you're increasing dramatically the amount of reach that you have and the, and the funds that you'll raise. Here at the Leadership Institute, we teach uh, something called the donor cultivation cycle. 
Uh, and uh, it, re it really is a cycle, and there are several key phases of that. And that includes uh, identifying a donor, uh, and that is, and then qualifying them, meaning is there reason to believe this person would contribute to the cause? Uh, and then the next step is to build a relationship with them. Uh, and, uh, and so the ask doesn't necessarily come right away. It could be in the same conversation, but first is a matter of building a little bit of a relationship uh, there. And then the, the stronger the relationship building phase is, then when you get to the solicitation point, Asking for money becomes a lot easier because you're asking somebody who you have a relationship with. And the hesitation often comes when you're making a solicitation from someone you don't yet have a relationship with, which is why building the relationship comes before making the solicitation. Then after the solicitation is made and, a, and if a gift is hopefully received, then there's the acknowledgement phase where we thank that person. That person, maybe they're thanked on the phone and or they're getting something in the mail, acknowledging their gift, thanking them. And then the final phase is stewardship, and uh, which you were just referring to, and stewarding that gift. And if someone has invested, whether it's 25, 50, 100, or whatever amount of money in your school board campaign, it's vitally important to let that donor know periodically how the campaign is going. Uh, otherwise, it looks transactional. You just wanted to get some money out of them. And well, what happened to that candidate? Well, I don't know. I never heard from them again. And nowadays, uh, with uh, when you if you gather an email address for all of your donors, it's very easy to send them a personalized email through a tool like Constant Contact, which I've used for years, uh, or MailChimp or another email service. You can, you can send them an email, Dear Mary, uh, and then it will mail merge the name into each, uh, into each email so it, 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 it's personal. Uh, and there are other mechanisms to, to, uh, uh, to steward that as well. But let people know how things are going. Now, here at the Leadership Institute, we, we pay a lot of attention to that acknowledgement and stewardship, don't we? And how, how does that impact how people support us and what, what lesson can be applied there for candidates? I can't tell you how many times that I've heard donors, uh, either th by speaking with them or reading their notes that they send to us, compliment us on the, uh, you're the only group or one of the few groups that lets me know what you've done with my donation, and the successes. And that stewardship creates that virtuous loop. Um, the steps that, uh, that, Ron, that you mentioned is uh, discovery, cultivate, ask, stewardship. So the discovery phase, you're learning about them. The cultivate, you're cultivating the relationship on the basis of what they've said is important to them. Then you're comfortable asking, and then you steward it. And when you steward it, you're in that virtuous loop of steward, cultivate, ask. Steward, cultivate, ask. Stewardship is simply cultivating for the next ask. And people will be more responsive. This is the difficulty that candidates have when they don't have a relationship. And that's what scares them. They're going to cold call. Here's a list of the 20 people who have donated the previous campaigns. And you're just supposed to call them on the phone and ask them for money. That's hard. And, and candidates rightfully dread it. Hi, Mr. Smith. You don't know me, but I'm running for city council. And what's the conversation? I understand you're a generous donor to others. Won't you please- How about being a generous donor to me? me? And, and the person on the other, now they may still get a check out of that, but it, 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 it's, it's 
um, is not as good as the other things we've mentioned, developing that relationship. And if you don't have relationships with people in the community and you just decide you want to run for something, you are going to have a difficult time because it takes time to build the relationship and campaigns are very short. We teach here at, at, uh, at our candidate school, there are five steps necessary or five things necessary for a successful campaign. You don't need all five. I've worked at candidates who only had one. But those five things are very quickly, you need, a, you need fire in the belly. You have to really want to do this. Next, you need a winnable district. I grew up in the Bronx. No one's winning in the Bronx uh, if they were a conservative or a Republican. So there are just some districts that are not winnable. Third, you need a vulnerable opponent. Some, some, some incumbents are really popular. You're not going to beat them. The fourth thing you need is a good name in the community. This is what makes incumbents so hard to beat because on, on the taxpayer's dime, they get to build their good name in the community in the off years. And so that's what you're running against. Um, but you need a good name in the community. That's very helpful. If you don't have that, you can still win. Uh, the fifth and final thing is uh, the, the, the leadership necessary to uh, uh, marshal disparate resources together for a common cause. And that's not easy to do. You're basically starting a small business when you run a campaign, which you are driving into bankruptcy on election day. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the easy part. You want to get the timing right and, and, and don't misfire on that. And so that's not everyone has that ability to bring those you know, people and resources together. Um, but of all those things, um, I think the most important is a good name in the community. And it doesn't have to, again, it doesn't have to be political. It can just be you've done things. Voters can tell if you're running to be somebody or running to do something very quickly. And it's easy because if you're running to do something, you should have a record of having done something that you can point to as proof that you're running to do something. I know you've never heard about me before. I've never been involved in the community, but if I get to the state capitol, I'm going to really do a good job for you. And people are like, uh, I'm not so sure. I've heard that before. Yeah. Yep. But I've been involved in the community for 20 years. I have a record of public service. That public service could be in the military, for example, after a career of public service. You can connect that. It's a lifetime of public service. It's all the same. Uh, it counts the same. Uh, and so uh, if you're running to do something, otherwise you're running to be somebody. And voters take a dim view of people like that. And, and they can tell very quickly. Yeah. Well, Steve, uh, what else? You, you gave one of the presentations for uh, the school board campaign uh, training program. Uh, what else did you cover it, it, without going into the, in, the entire presentation? What else is a viewer or a listener going to find by tuning in for that lecture? They're going to learn how to develop their a persuasive campaign message. Um, there's an old joke that conservatives win every debate and lose every election. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we're all tired of losing the elections. I think we have the issues. Um, and... Uh, we, we often blame the voters. Why don't they understand? Well, that's our fault because we're not explaining it properly to them. They're open to it. They're open to our ideas for the most part. And so developing a persuasive message, very, very important. And so that's what we focus on is uh, 
how to build on your strengths, exploit your opponent's weaknesses, uh, understand how it's done. The other side does this. So if nothing else, you need to understand what the other side is doing to you. They're not attacking you. Well, they do, but they're, what they're really doing is defining you. And so I tell people, um, this is why I don't like the term negative campaigning, because that infers personal attacks. And so it's not negative campaigning. That was the, the Minnesota nice uh, that I mentioned before, is that negative campaigning doesn't work in Minnesota. I said, well, if you're attacking people for their personal lives, of course that doesn't work. And maybe that's the uh, example that you're thinking of. But a, a contrast based on facts and the other person's viewpoints, it, it has to work. You're only running a so-called positive campaign. You're not drawing a contrast with the other person. And uh, you're not giving the voters the full story or information. So the experiment we conducted was just on a local basis. In one small town, we did what they considered to be negative campaigning, and the results were just striking. And so uh, in every campaign after that, we, we went uh, district-wide with that. But drawing a contrast, so I tell people, don't attack your opponent. You should never attack your opponent. You should always define your opponent. And that is a very important difference. And so in that lecture, we discuss the, uh, what that means, and we develop how to do it, how to do it properly, uh, how to do it improperly so you can avoid that. Stay away from personal attacks. Don't consider it negative campaigning. You're drawing a contrast between your views and the other side and what that means for the future of the country. Steve Sutton is a member of the faculty for the school board campaign training program. You can hear his full presentations as well as all the others uh, by going online at leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. I want to thank Steve Sutton for being with us today. My pleasure. This wraps up another episode of the Leadership Institute's campaign training podcast for school board candidates and those supporting school board candidates. The Leadership Institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan foundation dedicated to giving conservatives the tools they need to fight and win in the public policy arena. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a tax-deductible contribution online at leadershipinstitute.org slash donate. I'm your host, Ron Nearing. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.